Welcome to another installment of the Chad Pennington Podcast. Eric Allen here with CP. Well, Chad, I really thought when we spoke last week that when we were going to talk again this week, it was going to be a playoff preview. But unfortunately, the Jets, who had a tremendous season with 10 wins, just couldn't get it done in Buffalo in a win-in-their-end scenario. What would you tell a Jet fan right now? Well, there's not much that I could say to Jet fan because uh, I know the response. It's going to be the same old Jets. Or I've you know been through this for my whole life. My you know <laughs> a lot of years. Uh, Chad, don't paint a pretty picture. Those types of things. I will say that um, you, you have to be proud of your team for bouncing back from a four and twelve season. And coming out at ten and six, um, I've seen teams do that and not make the playoffs. Typically, ten and six gets you in, um, and it would have if you were sitting there as a Pittsburgh Steeler. You would be uh, getting in the playoffs at ten and six, but you're not. And so, the most frustrating part is that your team had a chance to control its own destiny, and it didn't. And when that happens, uh, that can be most frustrating for fans, for coaches, for players. I think that's why you saw the emotion of the players after the game. They truly took this loss to heart, uh, knowing that the game was in their hands. They did not have to rely upon anyone or any team to get them into the playoffs, and that's what's most frustrating. All right, before we go into a little analysis on that ball game, and then we look ahead and talk about things on a whole level, on a macro level, 2015. You mentioned it here early on, same old Jets. How disgusted did you hear that when you were a player? And even now, as you're still connected with the organization, how much uh, do you not like that line? Because I was, uh, I was actually battling a couple folks on Twitter on Sunday night, and I think sometimes people get irrational and they forget about what has happened with this organization, especially since Woody Johnson took over. Well, as a player, it's frustrating because you have nothing to do with previous seasons or years where you weren't part of the organization. And so for the eight years that I was there, I was a part of four playoff teams. That's 50%. And when you look at the grand scheme of things, that's not a bad average knowing that there's a lot of players that I played with in this league that never even sniffed the playoffs. And we had a chance to play for a world championship four out of the eight years that I was there. And so as a player, you don't like to hear that. I don't like to hear that now. And I don't even play for the Jets because it, it uh, ties you to some of that history that you weren't responsible for. Um, and so it can be frustrating. Um, but what you have to focus on as a player is uh, the good things that you did as a team, as a player, what you need to improve on, knowing that the nucleus is there, the core is there um, to uh, make another run and to be competitive and, and have a chance to, to win a championship next year. Obviously, there have to be some pieces that have to be signed and added. And uh, more than ever, teams, it is a year-to-year thing with these teams. Um, because of all of the turnover and transition by players throughout the league. So what you've done in the past doesn't really matter. They have to retool, look at what they need to do better, and 
and get ready for the 2016 season. Yeah, I think some people's narrative that this organization is cursed is at times laughable considering what has this organization done over the course of the past year? Todd Bowles, Mike McKagan came in, took over, uh, and in 2015, New York Jets were a four-win football team. Mike McKagan made a number of moves in the offseason, and then Todd Bowles and a brand-new coaching staff had to put all these pieces together, and this team won 10 games, and nobody... After that ball game, as you know, Chad, was celebrating and saying, hey, we won 10 games this year. Brandon Marshall was stunned, sat there, looked at the media on Sunday night and said, no moral victories in this league. Todd Bowles said, we are here to compete for a Super Bowl, so we have to get to the playoffs. We grew this year, but ultimately we did not get to the playoffs. Well, and they were just speaking truth and speaking from the heart, and I completely agree with them. And so when you when you look at it, uh, that's why it is frustrating um, for fans, for players, for coaches, because you're so close. Um, but we know close doesn't count. When you look at the bigger perspective, no one, including ourselves, probably expected this team to have a chance to win 11 games. Um, when it all boils down to it, not only 10 wins, but really 11 games right there that they could have easily been 11 and 5, and no one gave this team that chance or thought that that could happen. I think that most people were looking at 7 and 9 and to 9 and 7 would be a major, major improvement. And so um, I think you have to be proud of the fact that this team. Uh, put itself in a position to get to the playoffs and control its destiny. And I think as a fan, I think we need to, to regroup as fans of, of football teams and of sport teams and realize that um, as a fan, if your team is competing at a high level and putting itself in a position year in and year out to play for a championship and has the opportunity to do that, you need to feel good about that. You really do. Now, if, you're a, if your team is at – bottom and at the cellar and not making any improvement, not doing those things, then you certainly have a reason to be frustrated. But if your team can start to, to create a consistent product, create a consistent product and compete for the playoffs and a championship year in and year out, you need to you need to feel good about that and you need to support the team in that because there's only one team that holds up that trophy and everybody else goes home losers. And so uh, you have to realize how hard and how difficult it is to win that Lombardi Trophy. Yeah, you're right. 31 of 32 teams will not get it done this year. Even if you go to the Super Bowl and lose, bottom line, you didn't get it done. So the Jets right now, obviously not satisfied. Proud of their growth, and they should be. When you look back at the Buffalo game, what stands out to you why the Bills were able to overcome a Jets team who needed that victory to secure their spot in the postseason? Well, a couple things stand out. First of all, I think watching the game live in the first quarter, I felt like the Bills came to the field and came to the ballpark with a little bit more energy, a little bit more tenacity, a little bit more effort. And I don't know if that was just because the Jets being a little bit nervous or a little bit um, – caught up in the moment maybe 
you don't know. Um, sometimes that can make you tight, knowing that you you have something like the playoffs to play for. Whereas the your opponent can just play loose, knowing that hey, we don't have anything to lose. We're trying to get to 500 to knock our rival out of the playoffs. Uh, so I saw I saw that and felt that in the first quarter, um, and I just felt like that there were times where typically the Jets football team plays good complementary football, and they didn't do that uh, this time around. For instance, when the Jets caused the fumble, uh, there were no points uh, that the offense was able to get off of that turnover. Or when the Jets actually had the turnover in the end zone with about 10 minutes left in the fourth quarter, the defense allowed the Bills to drive down and secure a field goal. So that's a type of complimentary football that doesn't necessarily show up in the stat sheet, but it's so important to winning football games, watching one side pick the other side up when something doesn't go its way. I really think about third down. The Bills, 9-20 on third down, 20 20 times, you don't see that in the National Football League too often where a team has 20 attempts on third down. They converted nine of those. Conversely, the Jets just three of 11, and that led to a 39-minute time of possession number for the Buffalo Bills. So the Jets weren't on the field a lot in this game. They weren't. They didn't have very many opportunities, but the opportunities that they did have, they didn't capitalize. And so that's the type of complimentary football that we're talking about. I've played in a game before where uh, our Dolphins team had 45-minute time of possession and we still lost. So sometimes time of possession can be uh, overrated. Uh, it, obviously, most of the time is a key to winning, but when you look at the keys of the game and look at the major plays that were made, the Jets still have uh, could have won that game even with the lack of time of possession. And so um, you look at the game. You just feel like that Buffalo was quicker to the punch for a lot of the a lot of the game. Uh, they had the the extra effort plays. Uh, they had the tenacity plays. They had the emotional plays, and uh, they just had more of those than the Jets did. And at the end of the day, uh, it didn't come through for the Jets. What do you think about the fourth quarter there? The Jets got themselves in position uh, to come back again, and we've seen them late. During that five-game win streak, they found ways to win over the Giants. They found a way to win over the Cowboys. They found a way against the Patriots. And it looked like it was going to happen one more time this regular season as the Jets are down 19-17, to facing a second and 10 from the Bills' 14-yard line when Ryan Fitzpatrick looks for Eric Decker. And then at that point... Uh, you know, take me through your thoughts on the fourth quarter. Well, I felt exactly the way you're talking about. I felt like, hey, this, even though things haven't gone uh, the way the Jets had foreseen them in the first three quarters, and even though that Buffalo was playing extremely well and, and Buffalo was beating the Jets to the punch on most of those series, you get to the fourth quarter and you strip it all down, it's 19-17, to 17, Jets have the ball and they're driving. What more could you ask for? Uh, you're in a hostile environment. It's a playoff-style atmosphere, a hard place to play, a division rival. You have the ball and, and, and the uh, possession in your hands and the opportunity to take control of the game and grab the lead. And so uh, I felt really good uh, for the Jets moving into the fourth quarter, knowing that there had been some missed opportunities and things weren't really going according to plan in the first three quarters. And so I felt good about the Jets' chances moving into the fourth quarter 
especially with their history of the past few weeks where they were putting teams away and finding ways to win in the fourth quarter. And then the I thought the the two series, one with the interception with the throw to Decker in the end zone and then following that with the long drive by the Bills uh, for the field goal. I mean, those are the two series of the game right there. If one of those things don't happen, whether the Jets don't throw the, the interception or the defense stops the Bills from kicking a field goal, the Jets probably win that game. And that's why it's so important to play complimentary football. It's also important to understand situations. And sometimes in decision-making as quarterbacks, um, decisions that you would make in the first quarter, you don't make in the fourth quarter. Or decisions you make in the fourth quarter uh, down a certain number of points in a certain situation, you don't make that same decision. So it's, it's very situational. It's a feel. It's it's understanding, you know, what the team needs to get the job done, and, and obviously Ryan would like to have that decision back. Yeah, uh, Fitz tried to hit Eric Decker. Leotis McKelvin comes up with the interception, and you're right. At that point, it's 19-17, 10-43 left in the fourth quarter. The Jets did not get the ball back until 3:49 remained in the fourth quarter because the Bills, as they did, seemed like most of the afternoon they found ways to convert on third down. On the, foul, on the ensuing drive, I should say, they converted three third downs. Exactly, and, and you look at it, imagine if the, if the Bills go three and out after that interception. The offense is back on the field. They just had a drive. They're starting to get in the groove. They probably go down and score. And so uh, that was a great job by the Bills. You have to give them credit. They were finding ways to convert on third down. They were being very creative in their formations, using Tyrod Taylor to run the ball. They were finding ways to get Sammy Watkins the ball in bracket coverage. Um, they were just very opportunistic, and uh, they found a way to keep the Jets' offense off the field and to continue to – they knew that the big play – I believe the Bills went into the game knowing that the big play was probably not going to be there a lot. And so they just kept chipping away at it, dink and dunk and keep moving the sticks, knowing that as long as we're on the field, Jets can't score. And so that's exactly what they did by holding the ball for 40 minutes during the game. Yeah, and listen, Sammy Watkins is a fantastic uh, fantastic talent, and uh, Jets are going to be competing against him for a number of years, and we know he can get down the field. But that was really the first time, uh, you know, that I could tell from a distance that the Bills said, hey, we're going to get to him on some routes underneath. So they did change up some things game plan-wise. And there's something I want to talk about here with you game plan-wise because people have continually asked me why Chris Ivory did not get the ball more against the Buffalo Bills. Well, here's the deal, Chad. Last week at practice, Ivory was limited with a knee injury. Bilal Paul did not suit up for the Jets either. So, of course, everybody's dealing with injuries. We know how uh, critical Paul has been for this team down the stretch. So he was inactive, but Ivory was limited at practice. So when the Jets were preparing for the Bills, Stephen Ridley was the guy they had to get ready for a number of packages. Now, the Jets weren't on the field a lot because they went 3 of 12 on third down. So... When you look at the carries, everybody at home shouting and saying, why not more Chris Ivory? Well, in my, it's my belief, Chad, why not more Chris Ivory? Because, number one, he was limited at practice. So in preparation for the Bills' defense, a lot of the packages the Jets were getting ready with were 
for Steven Ridley. And then secondly, the Jets didn't have the ball a ton. And thirdly, Ivory did have more snaps than uh, Ridley. Okay, so, you know, what's your thoughts on that? Well, I, I, I agree. Uh, I think your second reason is the most important reason. Let's say Chris Ivory is completely healthy, and he had, I believe, six carries um, in this game. With 20 minutes holding the ball, it doesn't matter if he's completely healthy. He, what would he have? Ten carries? Twelve carries? Maybe. So you're still going to say that he didn't get the ball enough. Well, there's a reason why, because the Jets couldn't stay on the field on offense, and they couldn't get off the field on defense. And so regardless of who your playmakers are, they don't have an opportunity to get the ball, and you don't have an opportunity as a play caller to get them the ball. Jets also got down 13-0, to so then passing game had to come to the forefront a little bit to try to climb back in the game. And so the Jets were always behind the eight ball in every facet of the game. They were behind the eight ball, whether it be behind the sticks uh, on defense uh, because the Bills weren't in, in, in a lot of third and long situations. Uh, offensively, um, they were behind the eight ball because of the score. Um, and so there were all kinds of things where the Jets just never could get over the hump to get into their normal game plan and then feel comfortable with handing the ball to Ivory. Doing, doing the screen packages. And, and I thought actually missing Bilal Powell, that was a little bit of it too. I mean, think about the explosiveness of Bilal Powell over the last few weeks mm-hmm. and the type of energetic, spark-type plays, chunk plays that he created um, in the passing game and in the running game. They missed that. There's no doubt about it. Now, that's not the reason why they lost the game but it certainly hurt just a little. Uh, yeah, Chan Gailey had a fantastic season. So did the entire coaching staff, Todd Bowles and uh, Casey Rogers. I think about what this team did from a takeaway perspective defensively. Last year, this team had 13 takeaways, tied for last in the National Football League. They came up with 30 this year, tying for third, I believe. Also one of the better run-stuffing units in the National Football League. So I thought... They took some steps defensively, especially in the takeaway department. How difficult do you think this is for a player, if you're a B. Marshall, if you're a Ryan Fitzpatrick? How long will this sting? And is it a little, when you look at it and say, dawning to say, oh, man, we got to start this all over again in the spring? And Because, like you said, everything changes you can have the core intact, and the Jets are really happy with that core. But with that being said, there's going to be a lot of roster tinkering, and you've been around it. You've been in that locker room when the season ends. No locker room is the same. Well, it's extremely difficult and more difficult for a veteran player because as, as a young player, you don't realize uh, the competitive nature of this league. Uh, you have come from, mostly come from colleges where you have been successful. You've come from high school teams where you've been successful. You've won championships. You're used to being in postseason play and playing for championships. And then you get to the league as a young player, and you don't realize how precious these playoff opportunities actually are. And as you become an older player and a veteran in this league, it really comes to the forefront. And that's why you see a lot of players at the end of their careers choose teams and situations over money because they want a chance to compete for a title. And so for players like Brandon Marshall, for players like Ryan Fitzpatrick, they see the end coming. 
they see a finality coming and not having that sweet taste of playoff football really bothers them. And so there's a huge sense of urgency for those type of players. And you hope that they carry that into the off season and try to convey that to the young players the best that they can to try to bring those young players up to speed and realizing that these opportunities don't come. Ask Dan Marino. Made it to the Super Bowl his second year, never sniffed it again. And so, uh, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a unique dynamic in the NFL that you don't experience in college or high school. Ty Bowles was very direct about it this week. At his season-ending news conference, he was asked, hey, do you think your roster has to get younger? Because you have a number of guys, of course, who played very well this year who are in their, uh, who are in their 30s. And he said, I don't know about younger. I think, I know we have to get faster. What's your take on the Jets' team speed and where they possibly could use a little jolt? Yeah, I, I uh, don't always agree with Younger either, and the reason I don't is because sometimes uh, veteran-savvy knowledge and experience can trump speed uh, through anticipation and preparation and so whereas speed without control without knowledge is nothing but chaos (laughs) and so is youth and so sometimes you can get younger but you're not any more efficient you're not any more productive you have to look at the production of the player and so that's that's starting to become a huge key in in the league and in the nfl because teams are getting younger that's a fact uh, when I was a rookie, half our team was over 30. By the time I went to the Dolphins, we had six guys 30 or over. So that's a fact that the teams are getting younger. But what teams really have to start looking at is who are the players that are productive and and where's the production coming from? And just because they can run fast doesn't mean they can be a productive football player. So when I look at it, uh, you always want to make sure that you are keeping up to speed no pun intended, in your linebacking core. That's always important that your linebackers can run side to side and, and, and have good lateral quickness and speed. That's important. want to make sure that, that you've got decent speed in the secondary, uh, not only from a coverage standpoint but from a safety standpoint to where you can come downhill and turn those, keep those five-yard gains, five-yard gains, and not allow those to become 10- and 15-yard gains. I think they have good speed and size and quickness, obviously, in the defensive line. So defensively, that would be two areas. Uh, Offensively, I think the speed uh, would come from uh, the young receivers, and I think they're they're, they're right where they need to be with those guys. I think the receiving core, uh, I think the the three-headed running back system that they've got is very good. Uh, If there's one area I would look at for more production would be tight end. I think there has to be a little bit more of tight end production. Not not a huge turnaround, but enough to make a difference. Just, uh, very similar to how we thought that the young receivers needed to make a difference in the game with two or three catches a game to create some explosion. The tight end position, you need that as well. And so that would be an area to look at. Yeah, and we'll circle back with you before free agency and to get your view on the Jets in March. But... Um, Todd Bowles was asked about Fitz this week. He said, yeah, we definitely want him to be back. And Ryan Fitzpatrick said, I want to be back. And, I, and 
and if he does resign, Bowles said this guy's our starting quarterback. Do you think this is a good situation for the Jets if they can uh, land a deal here with Fitz because they do have a young quarterback. They have a couple young quarterbacks here. Uh, Geno Smith's still under contract. You got Bryce Petty, who just started, you know, had his rookie season and you know, learned under him. So if the Jets wanted to address the quarterback position in the draft, they could if he's the best guy available. But you're not in a situation if you bring Fitz back where, oh, man, we got to get a quarterback. Yeah, I think the Jets are in a perfect situation with the three quarterbacks they have. Uh, you don't just talk, start talking about quarterbacks just because it's cool to talk about quarterbacks. Um, you you look at your situation. When you look at the Jets' situation, they are in a perfect scenario. I think that the organization uh, needs to understand what they have in Ryan Fitzpatrick, the stability that he brought to the organization in a time during training camp that the situation could have went completely south. But I also think Ryan has to understand the situation that he's in. And so to go out and test the market, yeah, he can go find more money probably somewhere else. But I think he really wants to look at, and if I were him, I would look at the situation I'm in to be successful. It would be very similar to when I went to Miami. Bill Parcells was very upfront with me and said, look, we have a young quarterback that we believe can be our future. We want you to come in, hold down a fort, teach him, do what you do as a veteran, and let's see what happens. Very upfront with me about that, and I trusted that, and it worked out. And so I think that's the situation that Fitz is in. Is he going to um, require the, the, the true starter money like a Manning or Brady? No, but he certainly needs to be compensated for his production and what he's done. And then the other two guys, Geno Smith and Bryce Petty, I think that the Jets are in a good situation. There's no reason to get rid of either one of them right now. There's still a little bit unknown about Geno. There's certainly more unknown about Bryce, but I think you're in a good situation where you have two young quarterbacks that you can continue to take another year to get a feel for and then be able to move on And, and while you still have a Ryan Fitzpatrick there. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, you look at Ryan, and he'll be moving into his 12th year. You know, let's say a two-year to two year to four-year window for him if he can stay healthy. Well, within those two to four years, you can truly find out what Geno Smith's all about and try to find out what Bryce Petty's all about, you're in a really, really good situation, I think, when it comes to the quarterback position. Yeah, and then also uh, Muhammad Wilkerson, who unfortunately uh, broke his leg there, the fibula against the Bills in the second half. He had a tremendous season, 12 sacks, a run stuffer. Damon Snacks, Harrison, I thought uh, it really showed himself in 2015 to be one of the most dominant run stuffers in the National Football League, played a tremendous football. Chris Ivory rushes for over 1,000 yards. We talked about Paul again today. So uh, the Jets have a number of free agents, um, guys who could hit free agency in March, and ultimately they have decisions to make, but every team in the National Football League under a cap system uh, is forced to make some tough decisions. And uh, the Jets uh, will have to do some tinkering. And Todd Bowles said it. Hey, money talks. And also, hey, can you find a landing spot for some of these guys? In a perfect world, Bowles said, you'd love to have everybody back, but that's just not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And that's where the business of the NFL gets in the way of true, truly building a program. Uh, it's great for the players to be able to maximize their earning potential. It makes it very difficult for the organization to continue to build. So as players, I think my advice to players would be to uh, 
look at the complete big perspective. Don't allow your agent just to talk about dollars. Look at the complete big perspective on where you think you will be most productive as a pro, um, where you will be supported as a pro, uh, other than just the bottom line dollar figure. Go ask DeMarco Murray how that worked out for him. And so you, you have to look at that and, and, and hopefully – you know, the Jets play you know, and how they're doing things and how Todd Bowles has come in and created stability in, in the season that they've had, hopefully that affects some of the free agent uh, decision-making uh, as far as players go. But you're probably going to lose some of those guys and you can't get emotional about it as an organization. You certainly can't get emotional about it as a player. You've got to make the best decision uh, for the entity. Well, you made the best decision uh, decisions last week with your college picks. I really thought Oklahoma was going to be Clemson, but no, you were right about Deshaun Watson, an unstoppable force. The Clemson Tigers took down the Sooners, and then Michigan State really had a tough night against Alabama, and wow, that defense looks tremendous. How do you see the national championship shaping up? Who is your pick? Can Deshaun Watson do enough against the Crimson Tide, or is Nick Saban going to get another national title? Well, I think the key lies um, in the trenches. I think it lies in the offenses, offensive and defensive lines of both teams. Uh, if Shaq Lawson was not available for Clemson, I would really give a huge, huge edge to Alabama uh, with their offensive line and being able to bulldoze uh, Clemson's defense. With him in the mix, I think that even the scale just a little bit. I also think that the type of system that Clemson runs with the spread system and the type of quarterback they have, that is the type of system that has always given Alabama the most problems. Uh, it's not your typical pro-style systems at all. It's, it's your fast-paced, spread, no-huddle quarterback that can run and throw. Uh, that's huge. And so I believe that um, – Right now, I'm leaning toward Alabama, but by a very slim margin because I think they are just up front. They are superior. And if they're able to use only four linemen to control that line of scrimmage and keep Deshaun Watson in the pocket and, and, to, and to limit his runs, um, then it certainly bodes well for Alabama. If they're not, he's able to escape and make plays and then, um, extend plays and throw the ball down the field. Uh, Clemson could have a big night. Right now, I'm leaning toward Alabama uh, by three. Okay. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting game. And then let's get your thoughts on the playoffs real quickly. Uh, if you had to make a prediction today, who do you think is going to represent the AFC and the NFC uh, when they face off in San Francisco? Oh, goodness. You know, the, the first game that I'm, I'm really interested in um, – in the wild card is, is the Kansas City-Houston game. I want to see if Kansas City can continue that momentum into the playoffs uh, with their 10-game winning streak. That's going to be interesting to see having to go on the road and, and play. Um, I look at, I think, that Peyton Manning, this whole thing about Peyton Manning and Brock Osweiler, I don't even think it's a discussion. If Peyton Manning's healthy, you just saw the, the type of energy and spark that he brought um, – to the team and, and the type of just efficiency that he brought to the team. And it wasn't even with his arm. He was only five for nine, but it was just with in conducting and running the offense. And so if he's healthy, um, I think the Broncos have, have a great shot to get back to the Super Bowl. If he's not healthy, 
I don't see the Broncos going to the Super Bowl. So, uh, so I, right now it's a healthy Peyton Manning. I, I see the Broncos certainly at the front uh, of the pack. Um, in the NFC, you know, Carolina has just, just played lights out. I mean, you just look at what they've been able to do. They've got a defense that uh, is really, really good, flies around to the football, and they've got a dynamic quarterback that has now become a quarterback and not just a good football player. And there's a difference. You can have quarterbacks that are just good football players, but they're not really good quarterbacks. And Cam Newton has come to the forefront as a good quarterback by making good throws, good decisions, making plays with his arms. And we've always known what he, he uh, can do uh, with his legs. I think if, if you can have Arizona, Carolina in that NFC championship game, you're going to have a whale of a game because Carson Palmer has been outstanding. Bruce Arians and that Cardinals team has been outstanding as well. Uh, that would be a really great matchup to watch. Would you give the nod to Carolina at home? And how about Seattle? This, uh, that's a team with a lot of championship medal. You know that, and they seem to be rounding into form. I know Arizona didn't have a ton to play for, but anytime you go on the road and smack a team around like the Seahawks did last Sunday, you know, that's got to catch your eye. Yeah, any, any of the underdogs in the NFC, I think you got to go with Seattle. I think they go to Minnesota and beat Minnesota. Uh, and then it'll be interesting to see the matchup between them and Carolina. Carolina did go to Seattle and beat Seattle in Seattle this year. Yep. And so that would be a rematch, but it would be in Carolina because uh, with Seattle being the sixth seed, they would have to go play Carolina instead of Arizona. So they would be the, the quiet underdog. Uh, if there is such a thing, knowing how good they've been over the years. But as a sixth seed, they would be the underdog team to make it to the Super Bowl. All right, so we're going to pencil you in right now. Chad Pennington, Super Bowl favorites, Denver, and a slight lean to Carolina. Slight, but you know what? I'm going uh, you know, to – I've been a fan of Bruce Aarons ever since uh, he's taken that job and just talking with players that have played for him and – and looking at what he did in Indianapolis with that tough situation with Chuck Pagano. So I'm going to go with my heart, and I'm going to say Arizona in the Super Bowl against Denver. Okay, well, we're going to circle back within a couple weeks. We're heart gonna... overhead, heart <laughs> overhead. A lot of times that doesn't work out. <laughs> well, we've enjoyed the 2015 season with you, buddy, and uh, we are going to circle back here in a couple weeks. Absolutely. Thanks, Eric. Thanks, Chet.